if you keep asking that question why, you can keep stripping down to like what their real need is. Because I guarantee you the viral video isn't their real need. It goes much deeper than that. Hello and welcome to the No Fat Cats podcast, where we help high-performing teams get even better. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. Welcome to episode 10. If you've been following along, there had been a little lull in uh, podcast output. Is I had just I had a trip to Uganda and Kenya that was a fantastic trip. I was able to you know record an episode with um, with Grace Kabuya while I was in Nairobi. But once I got back, I just realized that you know I didn't have a really good plan in place for for everything. And I just as I got swamped with work, I was actually editing another podcast called Young Woman transform prize from the work i did in uganda and kenya uh you can always check that podcast out on your favorite podcast app as well um but you know i just realized that i didn't have a solid plan in place and which i got behind with uh, the podcast and but now i'm back and so one of the things that i've realized is that just how important it is to have a you know solid plan in place for when things get busy and so i think uh, you know, the one thing though is that if ever you do get behind, uh, they say you know it's just it's important to just pick up and keep moving forward without trying to always catch up. Because if if ever you fall behind with with a project you're working on, if you try to do all the catch up, it's just going to feel like a huge mountain of work, and you're just not going to be able to do it. So I know I had a little pause in there where I wasn't releasing the weekly episodes, but now I am back on track for my conversation with Paul from Key Insight Marketing. Here I am sitting down with uh, Paul in a workspace in Alexandria. So we had been co-working neighbors for a number of months, and uh, you know I got to went to one of his presentations, uh, really liked it, and I was like, hey, I should, uh, should record something with Paul. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Wesley, for having me. It's great to be here. No, well, for our listeners, would you be able to kind of give us the you know the general pitch of like what do you do? I mean, what is someone in your space who? helps other people walk through their, uh, you know, their marketing, their audience analysis. What do you, what do you do? Yeah, sure. So I, I started Key Insight Marketing in 2018 after I realized that a lot of agencies were charging a lot of money to companies for a mediocre product that, that, that companies are paying way too much for their marketing and it can really be done for a lot less. Uh, especially when you look at your large holding company agencies that have huge overhead, they'll be paying tons of salaries, um, I, I can I can offer that on a fractional basis and do it in an on-demand basis for people uh, c- uh, consuming services when they need to. So I'll come in. I've got a, a big background in strategy. I'll come in and help companies build a strategy for growing their business. It's all growth-focused, typically with small, medium-sized businesses. We'll figure out the services they need uh, from a digital perspective. And then I will uh, – enact that plan and execute for them, manage a team of outsourced freelancers or consultants, independent contractors who are experts in their field, who can, uh, execute, who can take care of, of everything we, we've, we've de- developed in the plan and do it at a much more reasonable price point because they're not in-house, they're not salary, there's no overhead involved, and you're only paying for them when they're actually doing the work. No, that, that's an interesting idea. So you're so relatively new then in terms of the work. Um, in terms of starting, you know, 2018, um, how much do you feel like there is this kind of new movement as, you know, internet has just, I mean, reliable internet across the board has, has become more reliable for everyone. Um, do you think something like this would have been possible, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago, um, kind of in that, in this space? Yeah, no way. No, it's, uh, it, thank God for technology. I, you just couldn't do this without the technology 
being where it is today. I mean, we didn't even imagine what a tool like FaceTime or Google Hangouts or Uber Conference was 10 years ago. It was uh, it was a pipe dream, or it was really low tech. It was low bandwidth. You couldn't have multiple people join at the same time. Uh, the technology just really let us get to a place where you don't even need to be working in the same place with somebody. And that's not even people in your own company. That's with clients. You can have clients across the country and never actually visit them in person because you're doing work with them. You're meeting with them through Skype calls or uh, Google Hangouts, uh, and and you're developing a relationship with them digitally. So it's technology has really been the the precursor to allow this this fractional marketplace to to evolve and to to really grow. And I think you'll see this be a big trend in the future. Is not just working remote, but but companies really shedding a lot of staff and just keeping people on board who are going to be project managers who would manage a stable of freelancers or independent contractors and only paying for those people when they're actually doing the work. It's just going to, it's just that much more efficient because companies don't have to pay for overhead, they don't have to pay for salaries, they don't have to pay for benefits and um and healthcare and uh and taxes as well. That all falls on the on the freelancer and the independent uh contractor and it's all because technology has given people freelancers, independent contractors, consultants, the ability to, to take ownership of their own work product and their own destiny when it comes to working for a client. A tool like Slack, I think, also really helped kick off this this trend because it their goal was to eliminate email completely. I mean, email is, well, it won't go anywhere. It's a it's a big uh, um, time suck and it's a it's a it's a, a real challenge for businesses and, and it gives people the chance to collaborate and be with people no matter where they are, whether it be through video or through just a, a chat room um, on on one tool, one platform. And that's, just, I mean, the, the technology is just incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. Okay, no. And, and to what extent would you say, uh, as a lot of your collaboration, how much of your work do you find you get done in the moment on Slack? Are you like always on Slack or do you at times just have to like step away and, and focus on, on like one thing at a time and then jump on? I'm curious to know what your thoughts are because I do think, you know, our product productivity um, as workers is continuing to evolve a little bit as we realize like, all right, you know, having all these pings and notifications, sometimes it's helpful, but having them constantly can start to lower productivity. I'm curious to know like what your thoughts are about that in the, in the spectrum. Yeah, it's funny. I used to have a boss at an old agency I worked at who one of her critiques during our review was I need to be able to multitask more. And now all this information is coming out that multitasking is the worst. It's, like terrible, it's, not, it's yeah. not possible. It's the worst thing for productivity. So, and I would even, I knew it. I felt that when that criticism came up, but I didn't have any data to back it up and say, you're wrong here. I'm, I think I'm doing it right. Uh, so I want to call her and be like, I told you so. Told you so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're right. I mean, notifications, I think, are a huge detriment. Uh, push notifications, text messages. I mean, I now ha- have my messages app open on my MacBook Pro. So if I get a text from the nanny about my kid going down a slide, I'll, of course, want to open it and look at it. And then that takes, they say it takes, I think it's like five minutes to get back into your flow once you've distracted yourself. So I've now just sacrificed five minutes of productivity that I've got to gain somewhere else. And by looking at that picture of my child on my computer, I've now taken time away from him in the future in the evening because I've got to get the work done before I can go home to see him. So that's that's a huge challenge. I think that's human nature too, to be easily distracted. So you got to find kind of um, uh, loopholes or tricks or tools to, to get around that and to kind of make yourself um, learn learn how to how to deal with those. Like like saying you're you're turning off all your internet for 
an hour while you're actually just typing in Microsoft Word, you know, or doing something that, that's productive or doing a PowerPoint or slide deck or presentation, just turning off all notifications, turning off your, um, your internet. I use, um, uh, Pomodoro uh, technique as well. So I'll do 20 minute blocks and try to do three 20 minute blocks of just continuous work with a five minute break in between. And then I'll take a 10 minute break. So that I find that's helpful. And that also gives me kind of a chain. I'll look at it at the end of the day and say, Oh, I did five consecutive Pomodoros. I feel, you know, I was really productive or, Oh, I was a little under today. I only did three. So it, it also creates that gamification where I'm interested in seeing if I can always best what I did before and breaking that chain. So I think there's tools and techniques to help you, but it is something that I think people as they focus on their own productivity need to be aware of. There's so many distractions out there. Don't get involved in the, the, the multitasking myth, except that it's going to be a detriment to you and try to find ways to work around it. No, absolutely. That's one of the things that I feel like lately I've started trying to become a champion of that. Um, I recently heard that, uh, from that multitasking, uh, lowers your IQ by about like 10 points. That's great. Which, which is, I guess, double the impact of smoking marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> So, so if you multitask while smoking marijuana, yeah, you're, you're, you're just, yeah, you're just in trouble. Like, yeah, uh, your productivity, yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought that, that was a quite interesting, um, and yeah, I'm sure Google it and you'll find it. And if I'm, if I'm misquoting someone, uh, tell me, but, um, but no, so I think that's kind of interesting because there is that, I feel like we're in that as a workforce, we're currently going in that balance of let's maximize, have any number of pings. And now we're sort of in that stage of like, no, let's go back and, find out when like being in Slack in a group is helpful for doing everything, but at the same time, finding times for those deep focus. And so, uh, I'm really curious. That's why I was curious to hear, you know, what you did. And I'll have to check it out. So you said it's, it's called the Pomodoro. Pomodoro. Yeah. It's, it's, there's tons of apps you can use to, to track how you're doing with it. Um, focus keepers one I use, um, there's timers that you can install on your Chrome browser too, that will, will, um, shut everything down for, until you get a Pomodoro done and then you can get your connectivity uh, back. So there's a lot of different hacks to do it, but you know, it ties back to the whole um, fractional concept that I'm talking about is if companies want to reduce their costs and they want to have people pay only people for when they're working, well, you got to have people be focused when they're working so that, I mean, if I were an employer and I've got a freelancer and they're billing me at hundred dollars an hour and they work three hours and I find out that even 20 minutes of it was, looking at an iMessage and then sending out an email to a friend, I'm going to be upset. So yeah, that's like almost, what, $40? <laughs> right. I mean, I'm paying for that time. I want it to be as productive as possible. So I think that freelancers, consultants, um, contractors really need to be cognizant of that, and they need to find ways to, to make sure they minimize distractions in order to maximize their value to, to employers. Yeah, and, and I think, too, the people who are managing the teams also need to be cognizant of you know, finding ways of scheduling time. So knowing like, Hey, I need this person to be available. But at the same time, if you constantly are pinging people, then you're lowering their productivity. So I, I think in some ways it's, you know, there's have to find ways of, uh, you know, as teams finding that balance. Um, yeah, and right. I, don't, I don't think all of us have, have found that, um, just kind of like, you know, uh, in many cases, I think if you have a significant other, the, you know, if you're distracted by your phone, uh, it's never good. But if you're out and you don't pick up your phone when they want you, then it's like, where were you? Like, you know? Man- management's a skill. It's not, it is a skill. It's not yeah. something that's innate. It's learned. And, and figuring out how to do that and do it gracefully without upsetting anybody, is uh, it's an art. No, it's, and I think that's why it's just helpful uh, to be learning from everyone about what they do, what works, and uh, finding ways to really kind of maximize, uh, maximize those, but at the same time, finding ways of uh, t- tuning things out when you, for, for chunks of time to really focus on, on that like creative work and that and right. everything. 
We'll be right back with our interview with Paul. But at this point, I'd like to take a minute to point out that this whole issue of multitasking and working in the digital space really needs to be further explored as we work to continually get better at it. I mean, I myself definitely work in the digital space. I'm working online through video. I'm sending clients things and doing email. But we really have to explore this issue of is productivity really growing this way? And do we have habits that we've developed as a society over the last 10 years that maybe we need to start curbing and maybe we need to start um, you know, working on because they're not actually adding to productivity. Uh, you know, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is uh, Donald Miller's Story Brand. And I was recently listening to an interview with Cal Newport, who wrote um, Digital Minimalism. And this was the quote that really stood out to me. Uh, we, I mean, we saw this puzzling stagnation of non-industrial economic productivity over the last 10 years. And there's a lot of different reasons that could affect us. But this was the same period in which we invested billions of dollars to create this unprecedented high-speed instant communication, worldwide wireless communication network. And it didn't move the productivity needles at all. I was fairly blown away to realize that over the last 10 years, we as a country haven't really increased our productivity that much more, despite all the money we've invested in you know, all sorts of, you know, apps and everything, productivity as a nation necessarily hasn't increased that much. And I think this is something that we really have to explore more later on. And I recently, after listening to the podcast interview, read the whole book by Cal um, titled Digital Minimalism, and it really just highly recommended it to, to anyone. So I think that's going to be a challenge moving forward in the 20, 21st century is finding ways to do deep, productive work um, despite all the distractions, whether it's just turning them off or finding ways to tune them out for periods of time. And I think I really liked Paul's talk about Pomodoro's, like just focusing on like 20 minutes of uninterrupted work. But I think there's also value in finding longer ways of deep focus to really tackle things at a deeper level. Well, that was my side, but now back to interview with Paul. So along those lines, you know, I know you've mentioned that you worked a little bit kind of in that fractional role for a company. You know, what is it about that fractional space and what does that look like on your end in terms of management being a part of things? How do you set boundaries in that fractional role and um, kind of provide leadership even from afar when you're a contractor, you know, yourself? Yeah, that that's a tough thing to to manage. And the way I manage it is is by if a company brings me on for, say, an entire year to, to do they sign a longer term contract, then they're going to get everything. I'm going to, I'm going to be available anytime for management, for strategy, for conversations, for for driving the business forward. If it's a short term contract, like one month, two month, and it's a lot, I like to do month to month contracts in general, because I think it makes the, the client feel a little bit more secure and that I'm working hard for them. But it's harder for me to, um, to be able to provide an all encompassing strategy and, and um, uh, CMO level line of thinking to them. So uh, it, those are a little bit harder to work with from a strategy and fractional standpoint. And when, when they sign me up for like a, a one month agreement, I'll make sure that it's, it's pretty structured. Here's, here's the amount of time you're gonna get. Here's what we're going to tackle here in, in month one. If you renew, here's what we tackle in month two. Here's the deliverables you're going to get. I make sure it's very clear. And if there's any... Um, changes or bumps along the road, and there always are because a lot of businesses are that I work with are growing and pivoting, constantly changing, and they're, they're malleable. Then I'll, I, it's up to me to make sure that I I let them know when they're out of scope or something's changing a little bit, and that they should um, uh, or 
we're refocusing our time and we need to maybe adjust the contract a little bit here. So it's really up to me to make sure I'm communicating to them enough that they understand what they're getting, it's clear, and that if there are any changes. No, but having those deliverables spelled out beforehand and making sure those are all clear um, seem like they're they're extremely extremely important for that that clear relationship. Yeah, and that's I mean, there's a lot of a lot of there's a big gap between theory and execution in this one. I mean, that sounds great, it sounds super simple, but it gets a little bit murkier when you when you dive deeper into the river. And uh, I mean, you know, I have a client who, who said, "Look, we're launching a product, and I wanna I wanna do." Um, Two million in in revenue in the next three hundred sixty five days, and I want to eventually be acquired. Well, that's that's a great goal, but that doesn't. It's hard to just build a tactical plan around that. I need to know what the the product is. I need to know who their their consumer is, what they're currently doing in the marketplace, what's working, and then that that's the marching orders. Here's the number we got to get, and then from there, I build out a very tactical plan on how we achieve that, and then that becomes what I use to structure the, the agreement. Not, I use the larger ultimate goal to guide my structure of the agreement, but I need to build that agreement very specifically. Okay, so, so along those lines, do you find that you structure your agreement based on like outcomes or, or more based on deliverables, or how do, you, how do you balance that? Typically the strategy stuff is more deliverable based. It's, I mean, if I'm, if I'm implementing um, a program for a company, it would be, let's say, one month of strategy, and that's where they're going to have a, a full-service marketing plan at the end of, end of month one. And then month two is going to be execution. End of month two, we're going to look at the program. We're going to talk about optimization, what went right, what went, what didn't, and then we're going to make changes, and then we're going to run it for another month. And then at the end of month three, we're going to see how, how it did overall, and then we're going to talk about a renewal. That's for just a standard three-month program, but that's how it would be structured on a, a month-to-month basis. So I say my contracts are, are month-to-month. I'd, I'd like to do it minimum of three because I do think you need to have that strategy up front. You need to have a plan, and everyone needs to be on board with it. Everyone needs to agree with it so that at the end of the the run of the, the campaign, someone doesn't say, but wait, I wanted to achieve this. There's no confusion at the end. Everyone's crystal clear on what you want to achieve, and you're, either you did it or you didn't, and then you know the proof's in the pudding at that point. So um, my job then is to execute beyond um, compare for, for a client and, and get a renewal with the numbers that, that, that they've asked for. I really like the, the few things you, you've laid out and focusing on almost a month of a strategy work uh, beforehand so that everyone knows like what the goal is, you know, what you're hoping to accomplish. Um, and then at the end, I'm sure it's a lot easier to, to say, well, did we meet our goal because you spent so much time defining it? Right uh, at the beginning versus oh I want to boost sales like all right well what, what does that mean <laughs> yeah those, I mean I mean ev- let's face it every entrepreneur just wants to make more money right and and they could walk into any marketing meeting and say I want to make more money and I think that the good marketers can be bad marketers by just saying okay we'll figure out a way to do it and not saying okay let's define that you know you need to define what they mean when they say I want more money or I want to increase increase sales and all goals should be should be smart. Uh, let me see if I can I can get the uh, the acronym, acronym here. right. Uh, they should be specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and timely. So I think you got it. If you don't have all those components, it's been a while since I've thought of that. But uh, if you don't have all those components, then then you're setting yourself up for failure, and and you're not going to get a renewal with a client. I mean, and that's that's extremely important important in my business because I am offering month-to-month contracts. I'm offering a fractional service. I'm saying I can do more with less, essentially and cheaper 
I mean, that's a that's a a big value proposition that I gotta I gotta deliver against. So if I don't, then then it's a problem. So if I don't have that clarity, then I've already I'm setting myself 100 meters behind on the on the 50 meter dash to start. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So so going back to the strategy component, you know, what do you feel like are some mistakes that that people make in the initial strategy phase or misconceptions people have um, that they should be doing differently? Yeah. So. A big thing is, is looking for a silver bullet. And, you know, I have a client who, who, um, has kind of the shiny nickel syndrome and they're constantly changing their revenue model because they think that, oh, this is what's going to actually now get me all the, the business that I, that I, I wanted to have. Uh, very rarely does a marketing campaign or program deliver instant results. I mean, you hear about it all the time in Ad Age or Marketing Week magazine, the great campaigns that generate 1.5 million uh, social media engagements and then that translated into 2 million in revenue for, for a P&G or a P&G brand. Well, I mean, those are, a, you know, are few and far between. The reality is, is marketing is boring. It's a long plot it's a long slow slog and you need to to do consistent brand building you need to continually reinforce your your value proposition through all your messaging and build your campaign tailored to your ideal customer profile you need to know your your customers and then you need to to make pivots based on which channels are being most effective and that doesn't happen with a week's worth of data that takes a, a lot of time so uh, I, I'm very wary of the entrepreneur or the owner who comes in and says, look, I need to, to hit this, this big goal in, in three months. Well, that's setting me up for failure. So I, I, I try to, to, to reinforce that, that marketing is, uh, you know, while it looks sexy, it's, it's pretty boring when you're looking at the results of it. So it's always like that. All right. They had an overnight success after 20 years of work. Sort yeah, of right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. My overnight success was 10 years in the making. Yeah. 10 years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Um, so that, that's one, one huge challenge. Another thing is, is you think in this day and age that, and I probably take it for granted, I'm a technophile. I love technology. I think it does wonderful things, as I've already mentioned, with being able to even build a, a company out of your basement that looks like it's a, you know, a really professional polished machine and doing meetings with your computer. Um, a lot of people don't understand how to use technology in their marketing, even good marketers at good agencies. And uh, brands just don't know how to track with using technology if they're getting the results they want. If they're getting, um, you know, putting a pixel on your website or a cookie on your website, a lot of brands aren't doing that or smaller companies aren't, don't do that. And they're not tracking that through Google Analytics. And that's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's, it's super simple. Um, but they don't either don't know how to or they don't, um, they don't understand the benefit they're getting from it. So there's a little bit of a disconnect along the way that has kept them from doing it. Or they don't have somebody guiding them to, to help them and tell them, look, here's the benefit. You're going to save yourself a lot of time and heartache because you're going to know where your traffic's coming from. You're going to know what converts. You should be, um, uh, should have uh, uh, tags on all of your, your, uh, your buttons on your website to, to measure which ones are, are actually converting, which forms are converting, where are you getting your, your customers from? Um, and so data has been a, a real challenge and, and tech, understand technology and how to use that to, to improve your marketing has been a real challenge. Um, it, it just, it's more, not challenge, it's more shocking to see how remedial a lot of people are with it, but that's, that can also be beneficial for me because I can help them. Yeah, I know. I think with, with so much going on, it, it is really hard to stay up to date with everything. And so I think an opt, it's, 
can be really helpful for people to find someone in that fractional space who is uh, like it's their job to keep up with what's going on. And then, you know, you can let's say you spend a few hours a week keeping up to date and then you can pass that knowledge on to several clients. Like, well, if you've been working for just one client, like you still have to spend that three hours to gain that like sliver of expertise. But then once you're working for several people, you can kind of spread that around uh, that, that knowledge there. Yeah. Right. Right. That's it, it's huge. Um, if you can turn that into money, then that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and so then, you know, when it comes to knowing your audience, I know, uh, you know, when I was here at the talk, um, that, that you gave, you kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the audience and how important it is to kind of think through that. Um, what does that, pro- what does your process look like when working with people? Yeah. So the, the first question I'll ask any client when I'm, or prospective client when I'm meeting with them is, do you have a customer profile, an ideal customer profile? Like who, who is your product service? Uh, and hopefully they can give me a good answer. And then if they can, I'll say, all right, well, then what are their objections to your product and what are the hurdles that they have to purchase? It's, that's normally where a lot of times the first question I ask will stump people and they'll say, well, it's, you know, it just does this. It's anybody can buy it. Well, no, it's, it, your product can't be everything to, to everyone. It just, it, it, you're, you're set up for failure there. Um, and then if they, but they can answer that and then they, they typically can't give me an answer for, for objections and hurdles. So they haven't really thought through their sales process with their prospect and the mindset that their prospects in when they actually make a conversion. And that, that's a, a huge red flag to me that they haven't, they don't have a refined sales process and they can use my help. So I do a lot of sales consulting as well, helping build sales playbooks, which, which, uh, define a sales process, probably turn it into a system in a, in a CRM, which, um, you know, I prefer to, to put it in a CRM. And so it's not living in a, a spreadsheet. So it's, it's shared across the organization and you can track where people are in specific stages and then also it just gives you a defined process so anybody who comes in in a sales position can look at a sales playbook and say, I got it. I understand who the customer is. I understand the value proposition that we're trying to position to them. I understand their hurdles, their objections. Here's some call scripts I can use. I've Here's some recordings for, of calls that I've gone over with of previous reps with, with prospects. Like, I get it. I understand. Now I can just hit the ground running. It saves a lot of time. Um, so... That, that that's extremely helpful, and that all comes from understanding who your customer is. So, uh, typically, like those are my first questions, and I, I haven't had a lot of people that I've talked to get past that second question. Do you understand what the hurdles and challenges are for or objections are for for a customer? So they, so very few people people you've worked with have actually asked that question. What are the hurdles? Um, and it takes someone walking through that process to actually get at them. Well, very few people can answer that question because they they get the sale done and they don't they don't think to ask the customer or dig in and find out. Okay, well, why'd you buy me? You know, why'd you choose me over brand Y? You know, why me over some other competitor? Um, I think they've got an idea in their head, but they don't have any um, really good. Uh, stories about it, like customer stories about it. So the more you can understand that hurdle that you're, the, the problem of your customer that you're trying to solve, that you uniquely solve, and if you, the, the better you can articulate it. And if you can articulate it well, you can save yourself a lot of heartache in the sales process because you can convert somebody a lot quicker and a lot easier. So do you find that once you, uh, with some of these contracts that you have where you're on more of that fractional role, is that one of your objectives is I discover those hurdles or what do you, what do you usually do to find some of those hurdles? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. And I, I, I do think that everybody needs it. Some companies don't think they need it. So, you know, it's not always something that, that companies will, will purchase from me. They just, you know, they're like, no, I just, I just need 
uh, a thousand leads a month. That's all I need. And I need to send out seven messages to these thousand leads over a month and a half period. I just need to do an outbound campaign. Don't tell me what my customer wants. I get it. Um, okay, fine. I, I can do that as well. Um, I can also improve your conversion rate if we talk about the, uh, the objections and hurdles in the customer profile. Um, but in order to get that data, it, it, it comes down to a lot of customer conversations. I mean, if you're not speaking with your customer and getting feedback from them in a you know survey platform or testimonial platform or a, um, a service level platform where you're doing support and service for your customers, then then you're not then you're not getting feedback and, and you're not looking at feedback as a gift. And feedback really is a gift to help you refine your sales process and make it even better. Okay. Now, along those lines that you mentioned that sometimes people don't really need that, that work. How often do you find that clients either don't think they need strategy that they get it and they don't need to think through? And, um, how often do you find that? And what are some ways of kind of overcoming that? Is that just a process that takes time? Talking. It's, it's just talking and talking. Uh, a lot of times they'll start saying they, they, they know what they need and it's a tactic. And it's probably a tactic that they, a friend of theirs and a YPO group has done successfully or they read about in some trade publication and they think, oh, I need to have the next, you know, viral video is a great example. Uh, first of all, I don't never understood how you just make a viral video and what people were, agencies were selling viral videos. It's crazy. Um, something like that is a tactic that I, that a lot of entrepreneurs come and they say, I want to do this. And you combat that by talking to them, by sitting them down and saying, okay, why? If you can keep asking the question why, it's super simple on, on my end. Like, why do you think you need that? Well, it's going to get me a lot of views and a lot of awareness. Okay, why do you need that awareness? Well, not a lot of people know who I am. Okay, why don't people know who you are? Well, my product just isn't, uh, isn't fully finished yet. And you, you can, if you keep asking that question why, you can keep stripping down to like what their real need is. Because I guarantee you the viral video isn't their real need. It goes much deeper than that. And it just comes down to to talking. But I can talk simply. I can just ask why and letting letting them talk. But but having the discussion about like why do they think they need what they need. No, I, I find that's kind of a, a theme that comes up. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a graphic designer and he said oftentimes people be like, oh, I need a new logo. And you start asking like, well, why do you need a new logo? Right. You know, and kind of going down, peeling those layers off, you discover that um, usually at the underlying there are a number of issues with underlying basis that people are trying to fix. And really just that viral video that I need a new logo is their attempt to solve a problem that they haven't really identified yet. Right. Uh, right. I know, you know, at one point I had a conversation with a guy and I was talking about strategy and the importance of it. Um, and it, and it was on the phone call, so I couldn't really read his body language very well. But at one point I think he almost started getting defensive, like, Oh, we know strategy and, you know, and he didn't, um, he, he didn't seem like very receptive to the idea of doing strategy, but I think probably, if I had approached it more from a just asking questions and probing versus talking about the why you need to have a strategy, then um, I probably would have been a little better off. So great, great example, similar story. Uh, I'm on a phone call with a prospective client in in New York, and I'm explaining what I do. Yeah, I do a lot of inbound marketing. I can help with generating inbound leads, which is generally creating content, creating a lot of content. And so talking about content creation and inbound marketing, and he says, well, I'm good with inbound marketing. I've got got plenty of content. I go, well, I've looked at your website. You don't have a blog and you're posting all of your content to 
um, an association that's affiliated with your industry's website. You're like a guest blogger for this association. So you're giving away all your content for free and it's not driving any traffic back to your website. There's no lead collection form on there. So you're good at writing content. You're not good at content marketing. Long story short, uh, end of the phone call, he signed up for a consulting, monthly consulting with me to help him improve his inbound marketing, which he told me he was, he was good at. So you know, it's just, it just, sometimes people think that it's hard for them to hear the, the truth or um, the reality of what they're doing. It's a lot of time. I mean, this guy was putting his, his heart and soul into, into writing these articles and there is baby and he gets attached to him and I get it. It's emotional. I understand that. But it, if it's not, it takes someone like me who's an outsider who has knowledge in the space to show them, hey, yeah, I do appreciate what you're doing, but you can do it better and you can own it. You can put on your website, improve your SEO, get all the Google credit for it because you're not getting that right now and help yourself rather than somebody else. And it, it took that for, to, to cut through the clutter and have him really understand like, okay, this guy can help me. Oh, great. So, so at the end, was the guy able to continue doing the writing part, but you just kind of helped line things up and make sure they're placed in the right spot? Uh, yeah, a little of both. I'm helping with the writing too, because the writing is very um, thought leadership focused. And I'm trying to have him write as if he's talking to his ideal customer profile. So I'm, I'm trying to now have him say, okay, this type of consumer has these challenges and here's where my company has solved a bunch of them. Um, check us out from like, like come come to our website and learn more, or because he's still we're still working on getting the blog and the website redone, but it's now driving content back to the website where there is a, at least a contact form. Eventually, it's going to be on his blog, and it's going to say, "Hey, fill in this form to learn more, or want to want to have a free consultation." You know, just drop your your email and phone, and we'll we'll get back to you. So it's gonna it's it's a matter of not just placement, but how you're saying your message to and you're speaking to that ideal customer profile. So it all comes full circle, identifying that 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 ideal customer profile, building the content for them. And then hopefully when they're ready, having them, giving them the mechanism to convert. No, I, yeah, I have been kind of convinced that at times you really need outsiders in your life to really help provide some of those like insights and um, just like tips. Um, so I know whenever I've, as I'm thinking about, you know, next stages, evolution, where I want to take business, you know, having conversations with somebody else who's like familiar, but not me, I, I get way more done in like an hour with somebody else than in like three months by myself. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. my own head of thinking, what could I do? What could I do? And then, you know, you can just like have a quick conversation. Someone's like, well, what about this? And you're like, oh, I haven't would have thought about that. Right. And so I think that's where, uh, you know, is it just particularly important, especially if with when you have to come up with creative ideas to be able to pull in people who can um, kind of speak into that process and provide new ideas that you would, would never would have thought of. It's the beauty of seeing the world through someone else's eyes. It just sparks creativity and ideas. It's great. Yeah. And then, and that's also one of the reasons why I think for teams, it, in a lot of cases, it makes sense to to like contract out to bring people in who have those fresh ideas and, you know, use them recurrently, but also at the same time, make sure people don't get burnt out on the same thing. Um, and, I'm, and I think part of that is like having that fractional mindset that I think a lot of things are probably going to go towards, um, you know, as a lot of companies and uh, you know they don't really need a full-time graphics a full-time video a full-time marketing person when you know, they'd be better off saying hey what does it look like to get instead of having two people full-time why don't we just have you know five or six people part-time and use their specialty right when we need it that's a really good point too is staying fresh i mean i think that comes more from the the freelancer consultant contractor but i mean i don't do a lot of the specialized work i, I manage a lot of it but um, it's really important that those people, you know, they've chosen that life because they want some flexibility and they want to 
um, be able to get the most out of their creativity and, and what they're passionate about. And if you're doing the same thing over and over again, I think it's really hard to continually do that. So um, if you can you know, move them around across clients or projects, and we, I found that um, the tools out there to find freelancers and and uh, and consultants are incredible. You know, like Upwork, Fiverr, Thumbtack. I mean, they're they're just an email and a and a, a quick. Uh, uh, button click away. I think it's all about, um, from my perspective, how can I write the brief that explains what I need as clearly and concisely as possible? Um, a quick story, I, I worked for a company that's based in Australia, and I had a graphic designer in Australia, and I found that it, it was great. I'm in D.C. We're in D.C., obviously, which is 12 hours apart, and so I would type up what I needed at the end of the day and send it over to my graphic designer. I'd wake up in the morning and it'd be like there's little elves working overnight. I was inbox of all these goodies of all the stuff that I've asked for until I didn't explain it properly. And now I've lost a whole day because I needed to redo something. And I send a note back and it's nighttime. They're sleeping and nothing's getting done for another half of a day. So uh, from my perspective, it's really important to get that brief right and explain exactly what you need. And then that you know, will turn into a productive relationship. But to your point, you also need to make sure that if you find that, that, that talent you trust that is really producing a good product, that you don't burn them out by keeping them on the same client or the same project, that you can spread them around and give them different challenges, make them look at the world through a different perspective so that they are sharpening their skills and they're staying, they're staying engaged. Yeah. So, so along the lines with the kind of the creative brief, uh, do you usually just find it's just a matter of spelling things out or what does that, does that look like for Spe- you? Specificity. Specificity. I mean, um, you know, there's a, a good creative director I used to work with. He said, uh, you write a bad creative brief and he'd call you in his office and he'd say, so you, this creative brief says, um, I need, I need a truck and it, it could be wrapped in, if you're doing like a, a, an art wrap around a truck for a mobile tour, it could be wrapped in, uh, blue or red. He'd say, I don't need the word could. Could doesn't do anything for me. That's wishy-washy. You tell me exactly what you need. You're putting in an order and I will create it for you. So um, I can make it look really good. Like my skills are uh, are in building what you're asking, not in trying to figure out what's in your brain. You know, and that's that's a really good point. I mean, if, if you're asking someone to get something done, then you need to be very clear, very specific, you know, say that it's Make make the person have brown eyes and not blue eyes. You know, be very very specific about what you want. To what extent do you find that having that clarity? I think it's all it's always definitely needed when you are in that creative space. Then what happens when you're working with someone who maybe is maybe like the CEO or the boss, but they don't have that creative eye to to, be, to know whether that bus needs to be blue or or red. Uh, how do you work with getting like goals and objectives from things? I think there's always that balancing act between painting what you want and then also identifying first what your goals are. Um, like what, do you have any thoughts on, on that process of identifying your overall goals? Cause then if, if you said like, Oh, well I want the people to be hungry when they get on the bus, like, Oh, well maybe the bus should be red versus blue or any thoughts there of identifying goals first and then diving into specificity. Yeah. I, I think that my thought there is you're going to have a lot of heartache sometimes. I mean, that's just the creative process. And, um, I've worked for people who they know exactly what they want, but they only know it after they've seen two versions of what they didn't want. So yeah, you might want hungry people in the bus and now realize that it's blue, but you had to see a red bus and people who, weren't hungry on it to to understand what you really wanted. So a lot of times, 
you're going to build creative that's just that's built to burn. You know, it's built to be just thrown in the trash. And my advice on that one is just never get attached to an idea. If you're trying to pres- create something for someone else and you get attached to an idea and it's not the idea that they want, then again, you're setting yourself up for failure. You you just need to be receptive and and deal with that heartache and heartburn in that point, that instance, and and just revise the damn bus, you know, and just 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 give them what they want. Uh, that can be that's a hard lesson to learn, especially for someone new in the industry in advertising and marketing is getting attached to re- what they think is really good creative and creative and, lo- and largely subjective, you know? It, so what you think is good creative, the guy who was putting in the order might think it's not good and, and you, you gotta let it go. So just, just, just be prepared to, to have it be a process. It's a creative process and it's, it's frustrating, but when you get to something that's really good, it's actually, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah, and, and just be, be prepared that there will be iterations to, to work upon. Right. I mean, if, if you go into building a creative brief thinking, I nailed this, this is going to be exactly what I, I'm, I'm going to get out exactly what I wanted, it's just, you're... Never going to happen. You're not going to be happy with the result. So let me flip the script a little bit. Uh, from your perspective, is fractional work something that, you, that you're interested in, that you would see your business evolving in that direction? I think I really do like that idea. And I think a lot of the projects I've done before have been... I always enjoy going back with, with like repeat clients, but at the same time being able to spread it, uh, kind of like spread things out. So, uh, you know, for, for example, I worked with, you know, with one nonprofit that does, um, they do, they do, do a lot of like water campaigns of the year, but really I can only do about like one of those a year because as a business model, I'm not really trying to do like the same thing over and over. But I think when you have a few clients that are a little bit different industries, there's a lot of like overlap in terms of going that goes from one to another that you can, lessons learned that you can carry on. But at the same time, having it be in different fields allows for like a switch that allows you to, um, you know, switch over and then kind of feel like, oh, this is new, this is fresh. And then it gives you that, that opportunity to do so. I do see myself uh, kind of being in that space because, and it is hard when you do something that's like really short and you can't actually like follow through. Um, then I think that it almost be like the equivalent of being kind of a, a coach. Like you just go to the gym once and have a trainer, you know, give you tips, you know, once and then go, go home. Like nothing's going to really change. Like you're left to your own, <laughs> your own motivation. Now, yeah. Right? Like you have your own motivation, but, uh, you're going to be more successful if you say, all right, I'm going to commit to a, you know, a three month period and I'm going to go to the gym and pay for it up front, pay for it up front right. and have, uh, you know, the instructor there. I think that's where the that's more of the relationship that I would say like I'm interested in is all right how do I help make sure you accomplish your goals and um, be, be able to do it for a slightly longer I think three months can be a good time to, to help people see through a camp see them through a campaign um, as a lot of g- groups do have campaign seasons and so I think but also and I think there's something fun about bringing like focused intensity and so being able to say like all right I really want to be able to focus and spend a big portion of my time working on this um, versus, you know, working for like 10 clients at the same time over at the same time, I think could be a lot, but having a few that you work on for seasons could be, um, could bring a lot of value. Well, so you recently switched to more of a strategy focus from the work you're doing specifically, just you yourself. Did that happen during a, a lull period? 
uh, yeah, it actually was during kind of a low period where I had that, had that time to actually think about things, um, or had that time to think about what do I want to be doing. And, and I always find that at times those lulls can be really, you know, kind of in a full-time economy, I guess that would be like when, when someone gets laid off or gets fired from their job, they're like, Oh, what should I do now? Should I go back to school if the economy's bad or, you know, should I look for something else? And so I think that everyone does have those opportunities to refocus, whether it was thrust upon them or by choice. And, and I think those are really important, especially in that creative space. Um, and so, you know, I started, got, got that ball rolling with a little more strategy work and then, um, you know, had kind of during these last several months kind of had a wave of work come on that really had very little to do with any like bigger scheme or plan, but just came on. So then I had to put the strategy to the side a little bit. Um, but at the same time, still trying to move that forward, um, during the busy times and then whenever the next little lull happens have that that more freedom to really reach out and expand that a little bit more right that's great that's great that you had that ability to reflect and and kind of add a a a revenue stream or a business line yeah and then um and even too i think some of the strategy you know work that i've been doing it kind of led to more of like executing and producing content so i think there's always that balance between you know looking for more opportunities to do strategy work reaching out and at the same time also um, once you've kind of thought through things like, all right, well, let's actually produce something that, that someone needs. So there's always that balancing act deciding, like, right, do I want to focus on just strategy or at the same time help people execute when they need the help? Yeah. I've found that, you know, back to the whole, um, engagement structure that people don't like to pay just for strategy. They don't, they don't want to pay $10,000 to get a document of here's what you're doing wrong and here's what you could do. You know, they want results. So, I mean, I think you've seen that when you provide that strategy, then they say, okay, well, how do I execute? Ah, oh, well, I know a guy. It happens to be me, you know? And so then they'll trust you at that point. And strategy never, it shouldn't end at just a strategy. If, if it does, you've done something wrong, and it should roll into an, an execution as well. Yeah, and, and that's part of, the, part of what I've been trying to think through is from that strategy, um, you know, if people come to you just, at the ex, just for the execution and they've already, they think they've done the strategy, in some cases it can be a little bit too late if the, that you know, train is already rolling, then it can be hard to go back and say, all right, let's rethink what we're doing if they're just hiring you to do execution. But I think when you're able to kind of frame your work in that strategy point of view first, um, then you're able to kind of make those adjustments early on that, you know, have to lead to, to like you know, long-term benefit. Right, down the road. right. And you become a trusted advisor for someone then too. They're going to lean on you because you've got value in what you're saying and, and what you're creating for them and they value your opinion. I'm curious too on your end, do you always do strategy first versus like, I mean, at, the, at this stage, would you ever jump into like building a website without actually having done that strategy first? Um, having always been a strategist, I would want a crowbar in there somewhere. I would, I would not take on a project where I didn't say, hey, let me at least like pay me for 10 hours to go audit what you're currently doing. And if they say no then I would say, all right, well then I'll give you two hours of my time and just give you some opinion because I... I mean, my value comes from the strategy. So I need to, to, to show that a client somehow that my thought is deeper than they would have gone and I'm giving them a solution that, uh, to a problem that they might have thought of or that, uh, to like, like a, a tactic that they didn't even know about. You know? So I, that's where my value comes from. And then, I mean, I'm outsourcing the execution. Anybody can handle my execution as long as I manage them properly. So my values in the strategy, I have to grow the crowbar there then somewhere. So it'd be really hard for me to, to, to take on a project where it's just building a website. And quite frankly, the, that's not where I, I make my hay either. The margins aren't great for me on that. No, and well, I think that's something too that, 
if you do want to get in more of that strategy, you almost have to be extremely diligent about not jumping into the execution when you see that, because you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. It's just wasting your time. You're just wasting your time yeah. if you don't actually spend that time up front doing strategy before jumping into things. Right, right. Um, and I think it can set a bad uh, precedent where if you set the precedent of always executing without doing strategy, then the next time the client comes back to you, they're just going to assume things are going to be like, like last time, like last right, time, right? And now, now you're a, a low margin execution shop that's outsourcing everything. You don't even have, from my perspective, I, I don't even have the talent in house, so I don't make any money off that. You know, it's like very little. Uh, that that's a real challenge. So I need to find a way to get my value, which is thought and strategy, at the forefront of any project. And I think that's a that's good advice for everyone. Is you know get that strategy in uh, early on, and um, for people who are working, you know, with things, make sure they get that in first. And um, I think that's where that true value, if that's what you're good at, is is gonna gonna really shine through. So let me go back and amend your first question. What a lot of companies don't do is they don't do enough strategy. They need to do more strategy, and they need to call Key Insight to do the strategy. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll definitely have your uh, your email there. Um, I know keyinsightmarketing.com. I think it is. Uh, yeah, Paul at keyinsight marketing.com and we'll have it in the show notes so thanks so much Paul it's been great talking with you yeah thanks Wesley appreciate it all right thank you so much that wraps up my conversation with Paul thanks for listening to another episode of no fat cats as we help high-performing creative teams get even better join in next week for my conversation with Arlie Cornell as who is a motion graphics designer and we're also going to continue this conversation about what it's like working in the digital life the importance of getting out of it um, as I think that's something that especially as I talk to a lot of my uh, you know friends who work in this digital space they're increasingly aware of as great as it is to produce stuff in it and we make our living, it is also important to have that balance where we really disconnect from the digital world um, and make sure we really connect with people who are uh, just connect with them face to face. So join in next week for my conversation with Arlie. And for now, thanks for listening and we'll be in touch next week. Have a great one.